all of us, without exception, we all hope for a better tomorrow. All of us are hoping that our careers will flourish in the future. On another note, if whether we are single or looking or married, we all hope that our future will bring joy and companionship and intimacy. Uh, from an economic perspective, whether we are upper class or middle class, we all hope that economically the future, our future, will be better. So whatever our disposition is, irrespective of whether we are pessimists or we are optimists, we all hope for a better tomorrow. Uh, whether we are followers of Jesus or if this is our first time in a church as explorers, someone who is checking Jesus out, curious about him, whatever our status, all of us hope for a better tomorrow. Whether we believe in God or whether we are atheists, all of us hope for a better future. So in that extent, hope is universal. This morning, I want to lead us to think a little bit more deeper about the basis on which we hope for a better future. On what basis are we hoping for a better future? And is that basis that we have real? You know, as much as we are all very hopeful uh, for a better future, there, there are some things we need to consider. Uh, I don't mean to scare you, so please, please don't get me wrong here. Uh, but the reality is about 1.5 million people in India are fighting cancer right now. Uh, another 1.5 million people are killed in road accidents every year. 7% of India's working age population do not have a job. We all know that increments are in low single digits, if at all. We all know that jobs are, are drying up. And as we look at the society around us, we see all kinds of challenges. Marriages are breaking up. And those of us who are, who are parents, we, are, we sometimes we feel that we are raising children in a bad, bad world. So things are not all perfect out there. You know, again, I, I don't mean to scare you, but but this is reality around us. Aji and I, we were uh, in a hospital on Friday. Uh, a pregnant mother walked in for her delivery. She went back home with a dead child in her hands. I don't mean to scare you at all, but this kind of stuff happens around us every day. So on what basis are we hoping for a better future? What is our hope? based on? What is the foundation of our hope? And this question is quite central to the, to the passage from the Bible we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at an entire chapter uh, from the book of 1 Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Corinth was a city in, in biblical times, and Paul, a wonderful follower of Jesus, he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, and uh, that's, that's where one chapter from that letter is what we are looking at. Uh, I'm going to start off by just presenting us one verse from the chapter. And as we go along, we're going to be walking through different parts of the chapter. 
And the verse um, that, that I want to really help us focus on this morning is verse 19 uh, from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let me read that again. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Allow me to pray for us before we uh, we, we, we dive into this chapter. Father, we thank you for your presence in our midst. And uh, Jesus tells us in the life of Jesus and everything about Jesus tells us that God is more interested in a relationship with us than we are with him. And so this morning, we are not depending on our, our good intentions of drawing close to you. We are depending, Father, on you. On, we're depending, we're counting on you to draw us, draw you, draw us to yourself. And so I pray, would you send your Holy Spirit? Would you open the eyes of our heart that we might look beyond the temporary and, and by your Spirit we might be able to grasp the truth, the reality, and the beauty of eternal life with Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If only for this life we hope in Christ, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. I want to draw three things for us from this passage. First, know your hope. Second, test your hope. And third, build your hope. Know your hope, test your hope, and build your hope. Let's start with know your hope. Do we know the basis on which we hope for a better tomorrow. What, what is the basis of our hope? Let me, let me talk to those of us who are explorers. Let me first talk to those of us who are not followers of Jesus, um, who are not Christians, who, who are probably here for the first time, or maybe you've been coming to New City uh, for, for a few weeks. And, and let, me, let me ask you to reflect on the question, do you know the basis of your hope? Well, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. We all generally, generally, the biggest basis for our hope is ourselves. Right? I'm sure we can relate to that. We all believe in ourselves. We believe in the education we have. We believe that we are smart, hardworking people. And, and we believe our intelligence and our hard work in the long run will pay off. That will give us the rewards that we're hoping for. Our hope is therefore based on ourselves. That is the bottom line, isn't it? So as we live lives, as we work and play, do we not all psych ourselves into believing you can do it? And in moments when, when we kind of feel we are not able to do that, there are always hundreds of motivational books and TED Talks that we can listen to. That's going to kind of help us get into that that, that mode again, you can, you can do it. So, most of us, our hope is based on ourselves. You know, but if you're really honest, we all know where this is, this is going to end. Let me give us a simple example, you know. 
we all know we need to get fitter. And so we all know we need to wake up at 6 or 7 a.m. and go for a run or walk. So at 9 p.m. the previous night, we kind of psych ourselves and say, tomorrow morning, I'm going to kill this. I'm going to wake up at 6 and I'm going to run. So, so we are all set. We, we kind of, you know, psyched ourselves into that, into that mode. That was 9 a.m., 9 p.m. the night, the previous night. At 10 p.m., we're not really feeling sleepy, so we tune into Netflix. And before you know, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. And then you wonder how time flies, and then you wake up at, at 9 a.m. the next day morning. If we are hoping in ourselves, can we see where that's going to take us? Again? All of us struggle, struggle with this. Or, you know, sometimes we have a vague hope on God. That, that God's going to help me. God's going to kind of come through. God's going to watch out for me. That is true. But I want to call us deeper. I want to call us to deeper faith. How can we be certain? How can we be absolutely certain that God's going to bless us and not punish us for all the small little bad things, maybe some really big bad things that, that we all end up doing once in a while? You see, it's not those of us, only those of us who are explorers of Jesus who are basing a hope on ourselves. Quite often, quite often, all of us as followers of Jesus, we also base our hope on the flimsy foundation of our ability and hard work. So let me talk to those of us who are followers of Jesus now. You know, Christians are very good people. Let me assure you, Christians never watch Netflix till 3 a.m. in the morning. We never, never do that. And you know what? All Christians wake up at 6 a.m. and run 10 kilometers a day. Yeah, all of us, all of us do that. And so, let me ask those of us who are followers of Jesus the same question that I ask those of us who are explorers of Jesus. What is our hope based on? Why do you and I believe tomorrow is going, to, is going to be better? Listen up, folks. Do we not also base our hopes on our ability, on our good intent, our hard work? You know, this is exactly the issue that Paul is tackling in this chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is aware that in his time, he's writing that to his time and is relevant to us as well in our time, Paul is aware that followers of Jesus have forgotten the basis of their hope. And he's now reminding them and he's calling them back to the true basis of their hope. As we were singing this morning, in this chapter, Paul is reminding followers of Jesus that our greatest hope is in the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. Paul is reminding the disciples in Corinth that because Jesus rose again from the dead, we too, when we believe in Christ, we too will one day rise again from the dead and spend an eternity in a perfect world in beautiful fellowship with God himself. This is the basis of our hope. Now, I know I said a lot in those two sentences. 
if you are an explorer, if you are new to this Jesus thing, I, I know, I, I would imagine that a couple of questions are running through your mind. First, I'm sure you're wondering, did Jesus really rise again from the dead? That's one question. The second question, I'm sure is going to is bound to pop up in all of us. You know, we're all educated, intelligent um, uh, people. The question that's going to pop up is all this talk about eternal life and heaven and hell. Is all of these for real? Those are real questions. Those are very valid questions, and, and hang on to them. I do hope to address um, uh, those questions at least a little bit in the sermon. And, and if you're an explorer wondering, wrestling with these questions, let me, let me be honest. Let me say, hey, you're not the only ones with, with these doubts. Even Christians, even followers of Jesus, sometimes we have these doubts. And if I were to be extremely honest, actually, sometimes followers of Jesus are, are actually worse than explorers. At least an explorer would honestly say, you know what, I find this very hard to believe. Uh, but sometimes us as followers of Jesus, we say, you know, I believe Jesus rose again from the dead. I believe that one day when he comes back, I'm going to rise again too and I'm going to have eternal life. We say all that, but we don't live as if that's true. The slightest trouble we face in our careers, you know, one, one kind of curt remark our boss faces, we behave as if there is no eternal uh, passes. We behave as if there's no life at all. Forget eternal life, even in this in, in, in this life. So, so as followers of Jesus, while we, we, we claim to confess our faith in the resurrection of Christ Jesus, sometimes, functionally, we live as if we don't believe in, in eternity. And that's pretty obvious from this chapter. Even uh, the church at Corinth, this is what Paul is reminding them. Look at verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead. So people in Corinth are beginning to say uh, there are no, there is no resurrection. This is, this is, these are actually followers of Jesus. So Paul is jumping in. He's, he's reminding these people. He's calling the people of Corinth, and he's calling us to know our hope. Paul is reminding the followers of Jesus that the resurrection of Christ is the Christ Jesus is the basis. Of our hope. And in this chapter, Paul presents three kinds of evidences to, to establish the resurrection of Christ. First, he presents a theological basis to establish the resurrection of Christ. Look at verses 15, uh, verses 3 to 4. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for sins, our sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The scriptures here refer to the Old Testament, that part of the Bible which was written before Christ was born. Some of the Old Testaments were written actually 1,500 years before Christ Jesus was born. And all of those scriptures talk about Christ to come. It talks about the Messiah who's going to come. He's going to, it's talking about the Messiah who came to die and rise again from the dead. So Paul is saying this idea of resurrection is not new to New Testament believers. The scripture, the Bible, the Old Testament has been talking about it all through and now it's come to pass. And so 
So this is true because for 1,500 years the Old Testament has been talking about this. Now it's come to pass. Believe that Christ again, Christ Jesus rose from the dead. That's the first piece of evidence. The theological evidence from the Bible. The second uh, reason Paul presents is a historical basis to establish the resurrection of Christ. And that's there in verse 6. It'll come up for us on the screen. After that, Jesus appeared to more than 500 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of them whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So some people, in, in, in soon after the death and resurrection of, of Jesus, a few years after that, a few decades after that, they began to say, you know what, resurrection is not real at all. The disciples of Jesus, they were just hallucinating, you know, they were just imagining things. Uh, the resurrection that never happened. They argued that the resurrection was unreal. And so Paul is presenting historical evidence to them. Paul is saying 500 people saw, met with, and spoke to a resurrected Christ Jesus. So that's historical evidence. Let me say this. You know, whatever you smoke up, 500 people are not going to hallucinate the same thing. It's not possible. They're not going to hallucinate about the same thing. So Paul is saying, this is not just, this is not just scriptural evidence, that is historical evidence that Jesus Christ indeed rose again from the dead. Paul is saying 500 people walked with the resurrected Jesus. They spoke to a couple of resurrected Jesus. They ate with the resurrected Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is a historical reality. Third, Paul presents a, a personal basis, a theological basis, a historical basis, and a personal basis. Look at verse 1. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. So Paul is saying, you believed, you had a personal experience, you experienced a personal faith about the resurrection of and Paul also goes to say about his own experience, which is quite remarkable. Because Paul was not born a Christian. In fact, he spent his early years, he spent the best years of his life perhaps, persecuting Christians, arresting Christians, you know, leading mobs to kill Christians. He did that with, with Stephen. And when Stephen was being stoned to death for his faith in Jesus, Paul was there giving his consent to that. So Paul started off, persecuting Christians, and one day Paul has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, who appears to him, and then Paul has a complete change in heart, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. And that's what Paul is referring to, referring here in verses 7 to 9 from this, from this chapter. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. I, I, was, I hated Christians, I arrested Christians, I killed Christians, but look at me now. Jesus met with me. The resurrected Jesus met with me. And I'm now a follower of Jesus. That's personal evidence. So, scriptural evidence, historical evidence, and personal evidence. In doing all this, in fleshing out all this, Paul is helping us see an extremely important truth. Paul is helping people see that Hope is not a mere idea. 
He's helping us see that Paul, that hope is not a mere desire for a better future. Paul is establishing that hope is not a wish or an idea or a desire, but hope is a person. <coughs> Paul is establishing that hope is a person, Christ Jesus. Paul is trying to help us see that the basis of our hope is not a mere idea, it's not a mere wishful thinking, but the basis of our hope is a person, Christ Jesus. It is on the basis of his life, his death, and his resurrection that we hope for a better future, for an eternal future. Hope is a person, Christ Jesus. And Jesus told us exactly this in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Do you know your hope? Do we know the basis on which we're hoping for a better tomorrow? That's the first thing I wanted to draw, draw out for us from the passage. Know your hope. The second thing this passage is calling us to do is to test your hope. Test your hope. Verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So Paul is helping us see that there are two kinds of hope here. The first hope is hoping in Christ only for this life. The second hope is hoping in Christ for the life after this. And so Paul is calling us to test our hope. When he says test our hope, Paul is saying, asking us, are you hoping in Christ only for this life or are you hoping in Christ even more so for the life after this? Are you hoping in Christ only for the immediate, which is today, or are you hoping in Christ even more so for the ultimate? And Paul is calling us to test our hope. He's asking us, what are we hoping in Christ for? Allow me to just open up a little bit of my life to, to perhaps help us see how all of us we, we tend to hope on the immediate and we all are vulnerable to forget the ultimate. All of us have some deep longings in our heart. And I'm willing to bet that every one of us here and now, there are some things that our hearts are just so deeply longing for. Now I'm going to share some of the deepest longings of my heart. And I'm going to use my own story to help us see how we all tend to focus on the immediate and forget the ultimate. Some of the deepest longings of my heart in, in this moment, at this, in this season of my life, in fact, there's something I've probably been fasting and praying for this, this, this past week, and uh, Aji and I, we've been praying through this the last few months, is, is I have this great desire to, to devote all of my time to serve the church, to serve New City, and to serve pastors and church planters uh, all over India. God's been calling us, calling me to do that. And so I've been having this really deep desire, deep longing, that I will be able to stop working uh, uh, you know, with, the, with the newspaper that I work for, with the Economic Times, 
uh, and um, in order to support myself. I've been praying that I can stop doing that so I can serve, I can devote a lot more time to serving people here and serving people outside whom God has called me to serve. And that's been a deep, deep, deep longing in my heart. And, and this is not the only part of the longing. And around this are, are some more deep longings. Part of that longing is, is to have uh, you know, a reasonable uh, balance to, to be able to spend meaningful time with Aji and, and, and our children. Uh, part of that longing is to have a, a, a very balanced life, you know, start work at 10, uh, finish uh, work at 5, you know, come back home, um, uh, spend time with Aji, spend time with the family, and, and then go hit the gym, uh, play squash, uh, you know, try and get my six-pack uh, abs uh, going. Um, and, I, and, I, and I, these are things I genuinely long for. These are some deep longings. And, and I, I really want to have, you know, Janomi, um, you, 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 you've heard me share this several times over. Uh, sometimes I just feel so rushed. Uh, I feel so burdened by all the responsibilities that I have to deal with, both at work, uh, at church, and, 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 and whatever God's called me to serve pastors and church partners outside. And so there's this deep longing in my heart to, to really have this beautifully balanced life where I wake up, at t- you know, wake up early, have my time with God, you know, go to work at 10, working for the church, uh, wind up at 5, have a, have a great evening, uh, and then have this wonderful, beautiful church that is growing, that is thriving, and, and, and you know, and, 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 you know the, the church is making a big impact on the city. We're really reaching influential professionals and artists. We're serving the poor. And my heart really longs for this. Let me tell you a, a secret about this longing. It's a secret. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. I'll tell you why. It's never going to happen because I just imagine a perfect world. You see, in everything, including the six-pack abs, which I'll never get on this side of eternity, hopefully on that side, maybe yes. You see, I am demanding God give me eternity now. You see, ma'am, you see what's happening to my longing? I want eternity now. Now, what I just described is my version of a perfect world. You, each of you, I'm sure, have your version of the perfect world. But can you see the problem with our dreams. Now, I want to make two points. Hang in with me here. Okay, I'm going to come back to this. The first thing I'm saying is I'm expecting eternity to happen now. I'm going to come to that. The second thing is if you see my dream, my, my deep longing, I am hoping in Christ only for this life. Let's, let's look at my dream. Um, happy family in this life. Fruitful ministry, wonderful church in this life. Right? Stress-free life 
in this life. Good health, fitness, maybe six-pack abs, this life. Can you look at my dream and please tell me in all my good and godly dreams, is it anything to do with eternity? You see, everything that I'm hoping for is here and now. The first secret about my dream, it's never going to happen. Let me tell you a second secret. You're going to be surprised at the second secret. The second secret about my dream and your dream, all our dreams are true. All our dreams are real. Every one of our dreams are, is going to come true. Listen to me, please. We need to understand that all the dreams and the desires we have are not dreams of this world alone. They are all also dreams of the world to come. The Holy Spirit, He has given every follower of Jesus this extraordinary ability to remember the future. We, deep inside, we know the future. We may not have seen it, we may not have experienced it yet, but we know it in our hearts because the Holy Spirit has planted eternity in our hearts. He has helped our souls, He has helped our spirit understand the reality, the truth, and the beauty that we have in eternal life with Christ Jesus. Look at, look at this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. God anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So deep inside, we know eternity, eternal life with Christ is going to come. Deep, deep, deep inside, we know it. Deep inside, we all have been given a God-given longing, even knowledge of the perfect world to come. So it is the Holy Spirit who is giving you and who is giving me dreams and desires and longing for this perfect world to come. These dreams that you and I have, they are all true. They are all beautiful. They are all going to come to pass. Just not in this world, but in the world to come. And so we make the mistake of taking all of these longings we are experiencing, of longings of eternity to come, and we assume, like children, I'm going to come to that, that it is for here and now. It is only for this life we are hoping in Christ. Paul is saying, don't hope in Christ only for this life. Let all your longings not be only for this life. There's something true and better to come. C.S. Lewis, a brilliant Christian thinker and, and writer, he wrote the, the Chronicles of Narnia. He really helped me grow in my enjoyment of eternity. He puts it beautifully. This is what C.S. Lewis says. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know what C.S. Lewis is trying to help us understand? He's trying to help us understand that all of these deep longings we have in our heart, the longing for love, 
The longing for safety, the longing for significance, the longing for security, the longing for belonging. C.S. Lewis is helping us see that all of these longings will never ever be fully satisfied on this side of eternity. These longings that we experience are not meant to be fulfilled here, will not be fulfilled here, but we have these longings to point to another place which right now is inaccessible to us, but it has been promised to us. We know if you believe in Jesus, whatever doubts you may have intellectually, if you believe in Jesus, in your heart, in your soul, you know you are made for eternity. You know that this life is not the end. You know. The Holy Spirit has given every one of us a nostalgia for the future. A nostalgia for the future. Generally, nostalgia is for the past. You know, all of us had these really beautiful, wonderful childhood memories, you know, maybe your first crush, I don't know, you know, maybe these, these beautiful memories in the past which, which bring a warm feeling to our hearts. That's nostalgia. And generally, we associate nostalgia with the past. But the Holy Spirit, He has given us a nostalgia for the future. This nostalgia for the future even though we've never been there, even though we've never experienced that, experienced that, we know it. We know it with eyes. We've seen it with eyes of faith. We've experienced it. We've had a faith experience in Jesus. And so there's a nostalgia for the future. We know what's coming. We know one day there's going to be a perfect world when Christ comes again. We know in the world there's going to be no more sickness, no more shame, no more death, no more sorrow. And Christ is going to come back and we're going to have beautiful fellowship. He's going to be our groom. We are going to be his bride. And we're going to celebrate the wedding supper of the Lamb. We know that we're going to have a world which is going to be only rejoicing. No disappointments. No people letting each other down. No people hurting each other. No us being disappointed with God. Us never being angry with God because God's going to reveal himself absolutely fully to us. We know all of this. We remember the future. We remember the future. You see, the mistake we are making is we are hoping in Christ only for this world. We are longing for this perfect world, but we are demanding it from God here and now. We are processing our longing for an eternal world through the senses of this temporary world. The, the sensory experiences of this temporary world are inadequate to comprehend the beauty of, of eternal life with Christ. So like a child throwing a tantrum, we want everything here and now. I mean, haven't you met the six-year-old who wants to drive his father's car? Who actually believes I can drive my dad's car and he's probably tried it as well. I, that's us. We want everything now. We demand everything now. We demand that all the beauty of the ultimate be given to us here in the immediate. Stay with me here, please. You know what we are all trying to do, every one of us, in our own way? We are taking hold of an eternal God 
And we're trying to squeeze this eternal God into the temporary lives and into the temporary world we have. We want God, an eternal God, to come and sit with us in this little temporary box. Not going to happen. You know, God wants to bless us for all eternity. No, we will not have any of that. We want to limit God. We want to limit this eternal God into this tiny temporary box of 70 or 80 years of this life. We are saying, God, you may be eternal. I don't care. I want to drive the car now. I'm only six years old, but I want to drive the car now. Friends, we need to grow up. We need to grow up from being mere temporary beings to believing that we are indeed the eternal beings that Christ has redeemed us to be. Pull out your phone. I mean, pull out your phone, turn on the selfie mode, look at yourself and say, you are an eternal being. I am an eternal being. That's the truth. Our personalities, our consciousness, even our bodies are not going to end here because Christ Jesus rose again from the dead. We too will rise again from the dead. Test your hope, Paul is telling us. You know what we do? I do this. I don't know about you, but I do this all the time. God, where are you? Why are you so distant, O God? Why are you not answering my prayers? I'm not going to pray to you again. I've prayed 12 times and you've not given me this. We get angry with God. We get bitter with God. Why? Because we demand from God eternity to be constrained in the temporary. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Paul says, test your hope. Do you want Jesus only for this life? If having known Jesus, you want Jesus only for this life, what a shame that is. If you have this treasure of Jesus and you don't enjoy him for eternity and you want him only now, you and I, we are to be the most pitied among all men. That's what Paul is saying. Don't miss out on the richness of the faith, of eternal life that our faith in Jesus brings us. Test your hope. The third and the last thing I want to draw for us from this passage is build your hope. Know your hope, test your hope, build your hope. How do we learn to tear away the affections of our heart from the finite things of the earth and place them on the infinite beauty of God in eternity? How do we tear it away? How do we tear the loves of our heart for the eternal things, for the temporary things, tear it away and place it on eternity? Before I give you the answer, I I want to share a small story. Um, I think about a month ago, we were, Ajay and I, we were babysitting for Ben and Roshni, and we took Nadia, their, their almost three-year-old daughter, out for lunch. And we went, I love Mexican food. So we went to this great Mexican joint, I think the only one that's there in Bombay. So we went there, and, and if you've been to lunch with me, you know I, I like ordering. I just order pretty much half of what's there on the menu. So we had a lot of things going, you know, there were some sizzlers, um, a lot of Beautiful dishes on, on, on the on, you know on the table, and the corner of the table were French fries and ketchup. And I I didn't as an adult I don't want to touch the French fries because there's so much goodness on the entire table around me. But Nadia, so we spent about an hour in the restaurant. All she ate was French fries dipped in ketchup. French fries dipped in ketchup. There was avocado. There was, there was grilled chicken, there was chipotle chicken. It, it was such beautiful. There was, there was sour cream, which I love. It, it was a feast on the table. But Nadia, 
she wanted french fries and tomato ketchup. That is all she had in that one hour meal. So just as any kid would, would struggle to ignore the french fries and eat the good food, we too struggle to ignore the temporary and feast on the blessings of an eternal God. You know, in one sense, this is what Christian sanctification is all about. Ignoring the French fries and eating the good food. That's what sanctification is all about. At this most simple level, the process of Christian sanctification is basically a re-engineering of our hopes. Christian sanctification is basically about moving our hopes away from the things, the temporary things of this world, and moving our hopes to the beauty and the joy of enjoying Christ for eternity. How do we do this? How do we do this functionally, practically, every single day in our lives? How do we believe in Christ, not just for this life, but even more so for the life after this? You're going to be really surprised by the answer. It's a very simple but very surprising answer. The way we tear away our hopes from the temporary and the way we place our hopes on the eternal is this. Go and share the gospel to an explorer and you and I, we will learn to appreciate eternity more. Go and share the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and you and I, we will learn to cherish eternity more. Think about this for a minute. Can you share the good news of Jesus to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus without talking about eternal life? Does the gospel make any sense at all without eternal life? After all, it's not the good news of this life, it's the good news of eternal life. And so if we are truly sharing the gospel with someone, we cannot share the good news without talking about eternal life. So when we share, when we try to explain, when we try to communicate eternal life to someone who doesn't believe in it, the faith in eternal life in Christ Jesus, in our hearts, it grows. See, let me tell you, maybe this week is an exception, okay, because I'm preaching on eternal life. Generally, when we come on Sundays, how many of us finish the Sunday service rejoicing in eternal life? Often we don't. You know, we can come to church and go away not thinking of eternal life. It's possible. We can go to gap groups and go away not thinking of eternal life. Possible. We can read the Bible, meditate, pray, and not really engage with eternal life. Possible. But talking to an explorer, talking to a non-Christian about Jesus and not engaging with eternal life, impossible. Impossible. Evangelism will force us to engage with eternity in a way we miss doing in, in our daily life as, as followers of Jesus. So if we want to really build our hope of eternal life in Christ, we must share it with others who don't believe in it. Nothing else, nothing else can build our hope of eternal life in Christ more than being on mission. Let me tell you one thing. We close with a couple of quick thoughts. Generally, 
We think of evangelism as something we do. That's how we thought of it. This morning, I want to invite us to see what evangelism does to us. Evangelism enables us, helps us, forces us even to deal with eternal life. It helps us see. Let me share this. One of our prayers for 2020, you know, some of us met a few days ago to just spend some time praying, planning for the new year, all of that. One of our greatest hopes for 2020 is every single one of us will be able to lead at least one person to Christ Jesus. Let me tell you this. When that comes to pass, I'm not saying if that comes to pass, when that comes to pass, when you know that God's used you to lead your friends to eternal life, I'm willing to bet the truth, the beauty, the reality of eternal life is going to come into your hearts like nothing else. It's going to come into our hearts like nothing else. When we have conversations... Look at us. We, we, we're all well-educated, intelligent, articulate, thinking people. And we're going to share the good news with people like us. And they're going to ask some tough questions. And, and those are real questions. We have to respect those questions. But as we engage with those questions, as we love them, as we give them room for their doubt, for their doubt as we generally walk with them, journey with them, we're going to be, we're going to be forced to think about eternal life more. Evangelism builds hope. This morning as we close, I want us to think through this, this, this the framework of this chapter. You know your hope. When was the last time we tested our hope? Let's take an inventory of our prayer. How many things we've been praying for is it about ourselves, about this life? And how much of our prayers has to do with eternity? And lastly, let's build our hope. If you're an explorer, if this is your first time in a church, or maybe just the second or third, you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. If you're just curious about Jesus, here's what you can take from this, 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 this sermon, this talk. I want, I want you to see the faith, the pure, innocent faith that God's put in the hearts of every believer. And this is not fake. This is not shallow. This is real. And, and you, now you know why we want to share this faith with others. How can we have this eternal life and deny it to our friends? That's why Christians evangelize. And we're going to move into communion now and, and this will be a time where you can reflect on this Jesus even more. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We worship you, Lord. Uh, Lord, um, human mind on its own, human intellect on its own, human spirit on its own cannot comprehend eternal life. Only Jesus, only your Holy Spirit can awaken our hearts, can resurrect our hearts from its deadness and sin to experience this truth, reality, power and beauty of eternal life. So we pray in the name of Christ Jesus, Father, would you send your Holy Spirit and would you grip every one of our hearts with eternal life in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.